Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And in this episode, we are going to cover two steps from the Sovereign Inheritance Plan, which are one, to identify and select your trusted people, and two, to secure your sensitive information with tamper-evident bags. And these are two of the most unique and powerful steps that we created in the Sovereign Inheritance Plan. So first, let's talk about trusted people. And a trusted person is simply someone that you can rely on to hold on to some of your important inheritance documents and also serve as a resource and aid to your heirs. Now, many people think that the best choice or people, I guess, would initially think the best choice for this might be your attorney, your money manager, your accountant. But Matt, can you explain why these professionals are not necessarily optimal for most people? Absolutely. Um, I think there are cases where some of these people might be uh, good trusted people for you. But in general, you want somebody that you have a deep personal relationship with somebody that you're related to somebody that you've known for many, many years that you consider, you know, almost like family, um, possibly even a business partner, if you have a good relationship with them. But in general, the idea of having a trusted person is that there is implicit trust there. And you know that there's a really good chance that if something were to happen to you, that they're going to be around regardless whether or not you designated them as a trusted person, um, they're going to be there for your family uh, when you pass away. And so the fact that uh, they probably know your family and that they are going to be um, you know, sensitive to all of the things that your family is going through really makes a difference in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that you know one of the things I just heard as I was listening to your answer there was that these are people that are going to be around anyway. When you know when when there is an unfortunate event with your family, these are going to be some of the pe- first people that would be at your house. These are some of the first people you may contact. These are people that are going to be supportive of you regardless of if you had selected them as a trusted person in a sovereign inheritance plan. Right, and then the other. Uh thing to consider there is that in the world of professional services, whether that's lawyers or CPAs or financial advisors, um, which were kind of the three you mentioned that would kind of be the most obvious, uh, they're not always going to be there. Uh, Meaning that, you know, attorneys switch firms all the time. uh, CPAs switch firms all the time. They retire, they pass away. Things happen to where unless it's really clear who that person is and where they are, uh, it could be a challenge for your heirs to be able to get in touch with them and get the things that they need when the time comes. Yeah. So one of the, so I think we should talk about what, what your trusted people are going to hold for you and why I think this will tie back into what you're saying. So your trusted people are going to have a, a number of your, in, I'm going to call it your inheritance documents and information. So they're going to have things such as the password to your computer, the password to your password manager, a copy of your will, 
a copy of a letter to your heirs. And, and if they're holding, if you're holding Bitcoin, they could even possibly hold one of your keys. So they're going to be holding on to a number of important things. And one of the things I don't like about giving it to what I'm going to call like a trusted professional instead of a trusted person or a paid professional instead of a trusted person is that that has to be stored somewhere. And one of the things that we recommend when you're picking out your trusted person is to make sure they have a safe. And if they don't have a safe, you actually may have to buy them one because you're storing, you're storing very important documents with them. And these are not to be kept the same way that you would be protective of where you keep your will and your inheritance documents, which is a safe. They need to do the same. They can't just take this, um, uh, they can't just take the stuff that you give them and you're going to, if you don't mind, put a picture up on the screen of what, uh, uh, a, uh, a tamper of in a bag looks like. So you're going to put all these documents and we're going to, we'll get to this in a bit, but you're going to put all these documents into an opaque bag with a unique serial number on it that cannot be opened without destroying the bag. And we'll get into that a bit more. So one of my concerns and one of my issues with giving it to, let's just say, your attorney, where's your attorney going to store that envelope? If they work in an office. Do they have a private safe? They have their own personal safe there. Does the firm have a safe where they can hold on to these things? Most, most offices, most attorney's offices, most uh, accountant's offices do not have any kind of robust storage solution such as a big safe. That's right. And, you know, the, the ability for somebody to access those documents um, goes up the more people that are exposed to it. So if you have an attorney that works for a large firm and, uh, you know, they might keep their, their office locked, but chances are there are going to be several people within that office that can still get in, into it if they need to. So um, I think that's a really good point that you want to be able to have uh, a really clear sense of where these items are being stored. And and we, we can get into some of that later because there, there could be some sensitive things in there. There could also, there, there are two issues here. One is just the loss of the items. So you don't, wouldn't want to put it with someone where there was a good chance that they may lose it. Now, we want to have redundancy here. So we're never going to just have one trusted person. That's why we we have, you know, you find your trusted people. It should be, more than one if possible because we don't want any single point of failure but you know we have a in in my office we have a giant safe in there that's you know have to be brought in on a pallet probably weighs four or five hundred pounds and there are only a few people with with access that know the combination that safe but that safe is not secure i mean it's secure that we can lock things up and outsiders can't get into it but i would never keep I would never permit any of my sensitive information to be in there and we don't store anything for anyone in there. It's, it's meant to store basically devices and other documents that for the company, but no, sure. nothing personal. And, and that's a problem is that, you know, you're going to, you're going to give this, let's just say an attorney, you give this, this uh, tamper evident bag to an attorney. They don't really have a mechanism for this. They don't have a protocol for this. Maybe they put in a desk drawer, maybe their office does have a safe of some sort, but, how many partners, how many people have access to that safe? So uh, for the most part, it is discouraged unless you don't have any other good options. Sure. And, you know, there are also 
Um, exceptions, obviously. I mean, you might, you know, for example, my father-in-law is a CPA. And so, you know, if I wanted to use him as one of my trusted people and the safest place for him to store things, um, you know, was in a safe in his office, um, I would want to really kind of vet that and make sure that I was comfortable with it if that was the right place to keep it. But, you know, it's the type of thing where you're not just going to assume that because they're a professional that it's a safe place for them to be storing things, especially when you're talking about, you know, on the Bitcoin side of things, if you're talking about storing uh, hardware devices or seed phrases or anything like that, which uh, potentially could be stored with your trusted person. Exactly. Now I, I, I think in part of this discussion about your trusted people, I think it's easy for people to say, well, wait a second, you're trying to, you know, you're dealing with Bitcoin and multi-stick storage, multi-stick storage, and you've got you know all these things where you're trying to put this really heavy-duty plan in place where you really don't trust anything. How can you have these people who you're going to give this essentially an envelope to, filled with all the sensitive information, where they could access your computer, they could access your phone, they could access your uh, your password manager. Right. So how can you have these people that you're going to give all this, all this information to and still have it be secure? So I think, you know, this goes back to one of the key tenets of Bitcoin, which is don't trust verify. Um, and, you know, this is in some ways, this is an exception to that because you are creating a point of failure in theory um, but you also have to consider that in the context of all of your other options for storing this information. And you also have to go through the process of properly vetting the people, even though you know them and you consider them, you know, family or friends or whatever, um, close personal relationship you have, uh, there are still things that you need to consider when you're putting this trusted person or trusted people in place. And, Part of that is number one, setting the expectations with them, but also kind of being aware of, of what else they have going on in their life that might or might not impact this. And then, you know, the tamper evident bags become a really important part of that, which we'll get into shortly. But, um, but that's another way that you kind of keep everybody honest in the process. Mm -hmm. And everyone, whether they realize it or not, have trusted people in their estate planning. And for anyone who has anyone who has children has trusted people in their estate planning. And the reason for that is that if uh, if God forbid something happened to both parents at the same time, and there's and that is and the and if something happened to both parents at the same time and you had a will that was current, meaning a will that addressed the fact that you had children and a will that was properly drafted that would would address the fact of what happens if both parents pass away simultaneously or even one after the other. You need someone who's going to care for your children. I know my wife and have, have had, the, you know, my wife and I have had this discussion numerous times. We've actually changed our, uh, the people who would look after uh, our the guardians. guardians. Yeah, guardians. Um, you know, things have happened in the world over the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, there there were, you know, and we have like a, a first place, second place or first choice, second choice, third choice. Right. In mm -hmm. our will. 
So everyone has these trusted people, whether they realize it or not. And someone to care for your children is a lot more important to me than someone who's going to like care for passwords to my money, right? There's nothing right. more important than who's going to look after your kids. Now, one of the reasons we really care about having this really robust inheritance plan in place is so you can pass assets on to your kids because obviously if you're not here, you want to give them you know, everything you can to help support them in their life for whatever that may be. Some of it may be financial, some of it just putting the right, you know, finding the right home for them if you're not there. Tragedy, of course, but it is something that needs to be considered. So you could actually, you know, you could actually say, okay, well, if you have children, you know, who are the people that I, um, you know, I, I've selected to be their guardians. And those are all potential candidates for you. Those are people that you have so much trust in, you're going to, you know, let your children be raised by them. Well, I would also add that could also be whoever you've chosen to be the executor of your estate or the trustee, if you have a trust. Um, it's in a lot of ways, it's a similar type of, um, of responsibility where you're going to be in a position where you are obligated to kind of do the right thing. And it's, and if you can't identify somebody that you think is going to do the right thing in that situation, then, um, you know, you have to, you have to work to find somebody that can. Yeah. And that's some, what's one of the things that we've helped people do is that when people come to us, we can go through a list of possibilities and come up with solutions for them that don't fit uh, this kind of cookie cutter mold. But it's rare that people do not have at least one trusted person. And we can get into, let's, let's talk a bit about the, the uh, tamper evident bags as we continue this discussion. So if you don't mind, put the tamper evident bag up on the screen again, yeah. please. And so we can see that this bag is opaque. You can't see what's in there. And your trusted people aren't really going to know what's in there. And don't you shouldn't tell them exactly what's in there. You can tell and them. And by the way, one, one thing to mention is that we specifically recommend opaque tamper evident bags. There are clear tamper evident bags on the market. And um, for obvious reasons, those are not recommended for this purpose. Yes, not at all. You don't want, you don't really want to get into what, what people are holding in there. It's better for, it's better for you. It's better for them that they don't know. And one of the things that, one of the reasons we use this tamper evident bag is, well, one, it's tamper evident. You can see if someone got in there or not. And two, it has a unique serial number on it. So if you were to give this bag to someone and they just, let's just say they were curious or they had a gambling addiction, whatever it was, for whatever reason, they decided to get in there. You're going to find out and you're going to find out in a fairly short amount of time because these bags get swapped out every 12 to 24 months, depending on situation. And for that matter, if you have a trusted person that was extremely dependable for, I'm just going to make something up. They've been, you know, close friend for 20 years. They are super dependable, but their wife just left them. And all of a sudden they've developed a drinking problem. And I actually had a friend like this. I have a friend who's super, super smart guy and him and his wife are going through a divorce. It was actually during uh, the pandemic and he just, for a really strong person, he really just lost it. And if he was my trusted person, 
uh, during that time, which he was not. But if he was, I would recognize that here's someone that's having trouble in their life and they can no longer be one of my trusted people. But regardless, this, this tamper evident bag is a, a very, very, very strong deterrent for someone to get in there. No one wants to be, no one ever wants to get caught. You know, a criminal doesn't want to get caught. No one wants to get caught. Now, a person that's been very close to you that you, you, uh, you know, would trust enough to, with this material, someone that you've asked to be there for your family, they are extremely unlikely to get in there. Um, especially when the moment you catch them and you will catch them and there, there are lots of ways to catch them. You will catch them. Your relationship with them will be uh, forever tarnished. Your, your trusted relationship with them may be gone forever you don't know. And so people just, I mean, for the most part, your trusted person is going to take this. They don't know what's in there. They're going to put it in their safe. They can't see into the bag. And you're just, they're just helping you out with something. They're just holding on to something for you. Um, should you pass away, which they're not even thinking is going to happen. And for, you know, tens of years, maybe decades. So right. there's not a huge yeah. drive for them to open it up. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this goes back to um, a couple of things that are important points around these using these bags to secure the information. One is, you know, I know you love the quote, good fences make good neighbors. And mm -hmm. this is a great example of that where it's um, all you're doing is something that's setting everybody up for success. You're making it so that they have a large disincentive to, uh, open up whatever it is you're entrusting them with. So that is, is a first good thing. The other thing is that, and, and we talk about this in all of our uh, processes, whether it's our best practices or sovereign inheritance planning, that a key piece of it is your recurring maintenance and making sure that everything uh, stays up to date year to year. And so, you know, every year when you go take a look at your plan and make sure that it's up to date, one of the things that you should do is kind of ask yourself, what may have changed within the life of my trusted person that I need to consider? So, you know, it could still be that the person is completely upstanding and you have no reason to trust them any less than you did a year ago, but their son just graduated college and moved back into the house and, you know, they've got a drug problem. You know, those that, types of yeah. things, they happen. And so it's, it's a matter of awareness and making sure that as you, uh, go through your plan and you keep it up to date that you're just kind of monitoring what's happening within the lives of those trusted people. And, you know, you're never going to know everything that's going on and there's never going to be zero risk, but just by kind of keeping your ear to the ground with that stuff, you can, you can prevent a lot of bad things from happening. Yes. And there are other steps that are needed to access your information. So, you know, in that package, in your tamper evident bag, you're going to have, a copy of your will. It's not a whole lot of value for someone to read your will. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to make much of a difference here or there. It's not going to give someone... them the keys to the kingdom. If no, they read there's no key. Will. Right, right. Keys to the kingdom is what we're talking about. Now, now you are going to have in there, potentially, it depends on each situation is different, but you would potentially have in there the combination to your safe. Mm -hmm. Right? So, 
that would mean that that trusted person would have to come over to your house and somehow be there alone for enough time unsupervised to get into your safe. Right. That's true. And, and, and same goes for, you know, access to your computer, access to your password manager, access to your phone, those types of things. Again, it would have to be um, either it would have to be a, you know, premeditated attack where somebody is really, you know, looking to screw you out of your assets um, or potentially even have to collaborate with one of your heirs in order to, to get to that stuff. Mm. Um, you know, so you're talking about a pretty serious level of betrayal for somebody to actually be able to, to, to do something beyond just opening a bag. Yeah. I know that's one of your big things is the, it, it really does need to be a pretty serious level of betrayal, but let's be honest, those things do happen and they happen fairly frequently. I don't think they happen a, a very large percentage of the time, but they do happen. And one of my things is that if you have, let's say you have a, a sibling that lives out of state, they're a great person to hold this. They're one of the best people to hold it because they're not around to really get into anything. And then when they do come and visit, let's say they come every summer with their family, it's a great time to swap out your bag. So when they get there, mm -hmm. they give you the old bag, should be sealed, right? And then you can replace that. You can put into a new bag with a new serial number while they're there. You can only, you don't need to give the bag to them when they leave. So you can have this person in your house that is going to have plenty of time where they could get into your safe. Um, and that's a way to stop them. But, but even with that, what damage could they cause if they did, if they did open that bag? So, your safe is one of the things mm -hmm. they could get into. They would have the password to your computer. That's easy enough to protect against if you're having someone stay. Sure. If that's something you're concerned about, then you know, your, you know, your siblings coming to town for the week, then you change the password to your computer while they're there. It's not right, a big deal. Right. Um, and it also, I was thinking about this today uh, regarding your seed words and mm -hmm. keys. And it made me realize how important uh, multi-sig security is, meaning, you know, having multiple keys because you don't want to have to store seed words for a single device with your trusted person. There is a way to do it. You know, you get, uh, as there are a number of metal plates, metal devices that you can get that allow you to put a lock on it. And what that means, if you could imagine, you're going to have your words in some kind of steel so they can survive fire and acid and anything, any damage that could possibly come to it. And these words are going to be covered in some way by another piece of steel. And then you put a lock over it. So you'd have to get the lock off of this device in order to get to it. So there is a way to protect your seed words, but it does highlight how important multi-sig is and, you know, if you are not using multi-sig, you may want to consider not storing your seed words for a single device with your trusted people. So, right. But, but the best, the best move is to use multi-sig because if you're using a proper multi-sig setup, then like you said, they would only have one of the keys and, you know, even with a two of three multi-sig setup, 
if they only have one key, that's not really going to help them um, by itself. Right. To, if you're talking about right. getting to your Bitcoin. So I know we've talked a lot about the negatives and all of the, the parts where you have to, you know, worry about this or that. And you, you have this like bag with serial number on it, which you can replace with your trusted people, which in some ways may make the other person think that you don't trust them. But there's a lot of positives to this. And, you know, can you share your vision for how things work when everything goes right in this situation? Yeah. So, you know, if, um, if this is done properly, when the time comes, um, you know, that person is going to know that they play a part in the sovereign inheritance plan and that, you know, they are a piece of the puzzle, um, in this roadmap to making sure that your assets get distributed the way that you want them to. So they'll know that. And, they will have to work with your heirs, whether that's, you know, a surviving spouse or children, grandchildren, whatever. Um, they will work with those heirs to help distribute the assets, potentially along with the executor of your estate. It depends on, on exactly what's being distributed. Um, but they will work with your heirs to provide the information uh, or some of the information that's needed in order to execute that plan and to distribute the assets. So, you know, an example could be that, um, you know, the Bitcoin example, I think is, is the easiest one. If they have one key or the backup to one key to your Bitcoin storage solution and your, you know, let's say that you, your son who's getting half of your estate um, has one of the other keys, then they can come together and use those two keys to transfer the Bitcoin to where it would need to go. Um, you know, that, and that goes for analog assets as well. Mm -hmm. If there are accounts that need to be accessed, um, you know, there are ways to uh, use a password manager, uh, which is what we'll talk about in, in another episode, uh, password managers and multi-factor authentication uh, definitely come into play. And the, you know, the passwords to that password manager and the ways to access the, uh, the authenticator uh, are things that might be distributed among different trusted people and different beneficiaries of your assets. So mm -hmm. um, what it does is it actually uh, provides, you know, a piece of a bigger picture. It does. And I think that a lot of people take being a trusted person very seriously and they're quite honored to be a trusted person. Like my experience of what I've seen with it so far is people tend to rise to the occasion and be honored by it rather than trying to figure out a way to steal from you, which right. you're going to protect against anyway. Another thing I want to mention is that even if people do get to something, it's very, very difficult to access your accounts in any kind of meaningful way, especially if you have it set up correctly, mm -hmm. without you being notified in some way. So, you know, if there's a login from a strange location for, for almost any online account I get, I get an email or some kind of notification that says, hey, we just saw an unusual login here. Is this you? Absolutely. I get them when I log into my own computer from time so to time. I, yeah. right? So, you know, I got, I'm sure I got one today when I logged into uh, to a new account I'm on a browser I hadn't used mm. or whatever. Um, yeah, you get those all the time. And that is something that should be set up because 
while, you know, 99% of the time or more, it's going to be uh, innocuous. You want to be notified in the, in the rare instance that it isn't. Mm-hmm. And also, I think I, I want to make sure to mention here is that you can use multiple trusted people. In fact, we recommend two, at least two, if you, can, if you have two people that you can really trust. The reason for it is simple. One person is, um, well, we can't have it. One person is a single point of failure, and that's something we're really trying to avoid in all ways. So if something were to happen to one of your trusted people, who knows what that may be, maybe their house burns down, maybe their house gets flooded, tornado, whatever it may be. Um, You want to make sure that somebody else also has the necessary information for your family and your heirs. That's right. And at the same time, the information that one trusted person has may not be identical to what the other one has. Um, you, again, there's some nuance there where you want to make sure you're not, you know, leaving out information that someone's going to have to get to no matter what. But, uh, but in general, that's the way that you create some redundancy in the plan is by having multiple people that are able to, uh, to help out if needed. That's right. And that also makes sure that you don't have this, uh, the single point of failure. Now it may mean that you have two trusted people to keep up with, but realistically the, um, the burden on you for any individual year for doing this is extremely low. You know, if you, if you put a robust inheritance plan in place, all of the things that go into that package, into the tamper evident bag, uh, are going to be easy for They're going to be there easily for you to, um, Oh, uh, they're, they're not difficult for you to produce for this package in any way. That's not a burden. It's not going to take much time. The Really, the only overhead you have each year is, one, staying up with your trusted people. But if you're not staying up with your mm-hmm. trusted people, then they're just not a trusted person. It shouldn't it's not be the right effort. choice in that case. Right. right. It's just not, it's not an effort. The only one that might be an effort is maybe you have a sibling. You don't have a great relationship with your sibling. You know, they live in a different state. You're not that close. But they're still family, and you trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, really the only effort each year is swapping out the, uh, the tamper evident bag. And, and in many cases you may just, you know, open up the old bag, put the stuff in the new bag, seal the new bag and you move on. You do need to record the serial number. That's something you do need to have and make sure that the serial number matches because, you know, people are crafty. They could, you know, find out what, what that bag is buy the exact same bag, open it up and put that stuff in there. But, you know, so you do want to make sure that you write down the serial number, that you have the serial number stored in a, in a safe location. You can store it in the cloud. doesn't matter. You don't need, you know, heavy duty security for it. You can even email yourself, you right. know, John Smith and deposit bag, you know, one, two, three, four, five, that's plenty. But you do want to make sure when you get the deposit bag back that you check the numbers. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing that, you know, you, you mentioned that you might have an out of town um, relative. I mean, that's something you could even do that over over Zoom if you needed to. You know, if they're not in town and you don't see them very often, um, 
you know, that's something that you could inspect remotely in theory. It's probably better to do it in person. And if things change, you're going to want to swap out some information anyway. But um, but there are a number of ways to uh, to handle these situations to where it's not really a, a huge burden on you or the trusted person to keep it up to date. Right. And I would even add to that, that if you have a trusted person and things are going well, you don't have any issues, which is going to be the case 99% of the time. And they're out of town. Let's just say it's your sister who lives out of town. You don't necessarily have to replace the bag every 12 to 24 months. Maybe, you know, your, your sibling doesn't visit very often for a number of reasons. Maybe they live in, uh, well, you wouldn't want them to live in, you know, if they were out of the, if they were out of the country, how would you feel about that? I think that could be a little challenging. I was, as you were saying it, I was thinking about a friend of mine whose sister lives in Australia and I was like, yeah, that wouldn't be a good, a good trusted person. It's just, it's too far and it's too, it's just too, I think there's a right balance there where it's, a, mm -hmm. it, there is an advantage to have them, you know, not living next door to you. Um, but there's also a disadvantage to them living on the other side of the world. Okay. So I'll give an example. Let's say that one of my trusted people lives in the same city as me, not a relative, just a friend for 20 plus years that I, I, I trust implicitly. And one of my siblings lives, uh, in, uh, Australia. And one of my siblings lives in South Africa. I'm thinking of faraway places. So, yeah you now are using the people who are living far away from you for redundancy purposes. And you're pretty safe from what they can do and what they can get to because they can't get to any of the equipment they need to unlock your financial life. Right. But if something does happen, um, you know, they, they have the backup information that's needed and you can easily check right. this on a zoom call or FaceTime or any number of, you know, video services where you can just hold up the bag for a second. Let me just see the serial number. Okay, we're good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, this is just part of my yearly maintenance. How are your kids doing? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, anything else you can think to add to this? Not really. I think we pretty much covered uh, these topics. I think the, um, you know, the tamper evident bags was one of those things that it was a bit of an aha moment for us to realize like, oh, this is a, a really pretty simple and clever way to keep that stuff uh, secure and to do it in a way that just really um, gives a lot of disincentive to do anything that's not above board. So I, I think it's a good approach. I think, you know, we can absolutely help people identify trusted people. We're not going to, you know, we're never going to tell you at the end of the day who your trusted person should be because we don't know that person like you do. But um, but at the same time, part of our process would be to kind of analyze kind of the candidates, you know, let's mm -hmm. help you pick the right one um, so that you uh, you're putting your your valuable information with with the best possible people. Yeah. And one other thing I would like to add into that is that people hate awkward situations. <laughs> The, the amount of effort people will go through to avoid an awkward situation is extraordinary. And I can say that because I'm one of those people. I, I will, <laughs> you know, I'll do a lot of things to avoid awkward situations. And unfortunately, most of them that I have to deal with are on a professional level. But 
it's a it, it would create an extremely awkward and weird situation if you ask someone for your tamper evident bag and they don't have it which is if they broke into it they're just gonna say they don't have it no one's gonna show you a bag that's been torn. they're not gonna walk up to you with the ripped open bag no. and be like here you go <laughs> yeah that's definitely not gonna happen they go, i don't know what happened you know and you say well i thought you had it in a safe didn't you have a safe there i did so i must have got in there i didn't know you know they'll they'll they will not tell you the truth almost certainly they will come up with a reason some weird reason of what happened and, and it's probably going to be like i don't know what happened because that's something that people use a lot to avoid things which is i don't know now so the first part is that people are going to do whatever they can to avoid something awkward and you know i think a lot of people can relate to like being someone's godfather or godmother right it's not necessarily a relative but I think people mm -hmm. always kind of feel like they have a special, you know, whoever their godson is or goddaughter, they have a, a special place in their heart. And I would say a lot of that kind of applies here with your trusted person. This is someone that loves you and cares about you and your family. This is someone that, this is not an adversary in any way. This is not someone you just met three weeks ago. This is someone that has a deep connection and even if they are not necessarily a trustworthy person, because there are plenty of people, and, you know, we've, we've all had people in our lives that we were friendly with that turned out to not be great people later. Sure. Not many, if you're lucky, but they, they are there. And also people change for a number of reasons. So one, people avoid. That's true. And I think that there are always, um, you know, situations that are going to be unfortunate in the, where, to where, uh, things change in life and weird things happen with relationships, but by and large, you're going to be selecting somebody that, you know, in a, uh, almost in a spiritual sense, they're not going to want to do anything that would disappoint you after you were gone. Yes. Karma too. And that I thought you may have gone there. I hadn't really thought of that before, but look for the most part, you know, there's a thing in Bitcoin, don't trust, verify. And, and that's great, especially when you're dealing with strangers. And that's kind of one of the concepts of Bitcoin is that you could send value to someone on the other side of the world who you've never met before. And you don't have to rely on any kind of third party and you don't have to trust them. There is a way. You don't to have to know anything value. about them. No, it'd be invisible. But when you're dealing with this stuff, it is going to be someone that has a meaningful relationship to you and your family. And so you don't need to freak out that you're sharing this information with people. There is a way that you will catch them. What damage they may do depends on how you do it. And, and also, I would say this because I think this is really, really important, that if you have if you are storing any of your digital assets on a single device and with Bitcoin, we recommend multi-sig only. There's really not much excuse to, to store any kind of real amount of Bitcoin or substantial amount of Bitcoin. If you're not using multi-sig, it's, there are free solutions out there that are very, very easy to use. There are a number of free solutions out there that are easy to use. There are a number of paid solutions out there that give you great customer service, CASA being one of them, Unchained Capital being another one. 
they both provide really great uh, multi-sig solutions. So everyone with Bitcoin really needs to have multi-sig. But let's just say you own some altcoins and you have it stored on a ledger or treasure, a single device. You do not want to store your seed words with a trusted person. Correct. You really don't. I mean, even when we get into those metal plates and where you have it locked up, that is a thing you can do. It'd be certainly better than having a piece of paper or something they could they could get to, a different steel plate that didn't have a cover on it. You really do not want to store those seed words with anybody. You, there are some ways around it, you know, and there are some considerations to make for some of those things, you know, uh, for full transparency, I think that the best way to store your altcoins such as Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, et cetera, might be to leave it on an exchange. And yeah, well, that's a different debate that we don't have to have sure, right sure. now. But um, but yeah, I think that, again, um, depending on, on what we're talking about and the amounts involved, um, the it is a a lot trickier to store those in a way that that don't put them at risk. Right. And storing your seed words, you know, there are other things you can do. There, there are ideas where you, you store half your seed words with one trusted person. You store the other half with another trusted person. Terrible idea. <laughs> we don't necessarily need to get into some of the ins and outs of that, but, but something I did want to mention is that if you're using a single storage device, you should not store your seed words with a trusted person because in the scenarios we mentioned before, there are some things they can get into, but they're going to be blocked from really doing anything substantial. But with your seed words, they can unlock your entire wallet and they can spend it without you knowing it. Right. And, 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 and by the way, and that goes for anyone who is holding Bitcoin, not in multi-sig. It's not just, altcoins um, or other crypto is that if you're not using multi-sig, which really doesn't apply to those other coins, um, you're at risk of, of having a single point of failure and those coins just being able to be accessed by anyone who gets their hands on the device or the seed words. Look, you and I, you and I have gone very deep down the rabbit hole on this. We know the value of multi-sig. I had a personal incident that showed me that. Maybe in another episode we can get into it. But multi-sig is really one of the great features of Bitcoin. And people worry about, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to store this Bitcoin? You know, they're scared of losing it. Right. And actually, my father-in-law got in touch with me a couple of days ago. He's like, I want, you know, I. I want to get more Bitcoin and I want your help securing it the right way because the last time he did it, he had an issue. We were able to recover it. Actually, it wasn't Bitcoin. It was some some weird altcoins that he bought. And we used seed words to recreate a wallet and get them back. But multi-sig is just such a, a wonderful solution for protecting your, your Bitcoin that it's, it's negligent, in my opinion, for someone to not use it. And it's extraordinary how many people do not use it. Absolutely. So, so long, long uh, description, long answer for the simple idea of do not store your seed words for a single device with your trusted people. That is a recipe for disaster.
All right. Anything else? Um, no, I think, I think that pretty much covers it. Great. So can you tell people where they can find us, please? Yeah. So, uh, you can find us on our website, btcbutlers.com, on Twitter, at btcbutlers. You can email us at info at btcbutlers.com. And um, our DMs on Twitter are open as well. Uh, we would love to help you uh, with your sovereign inheritance plan, as well as uh, implementing any of the other Bitcoin best practices that we've identified. You can find our best practice guide and our sovereign inheritance planning guide are both available on our website. And uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love you to subscribe and whether that's on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you have any questions, we'd love to help you and we'd love to hear from you. Sounds great, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time. Take care. See ya.